Good morning, and good morning, uh, uh, HP campus and Cedar Lake campus that uh, is joining here today as we uh, come together around God's Word. And before we get into Romans 12, uh, a word about Christians and coronavirus. You all groan, right? Because it was all the news this week, and of course, I'm sure that you're aware of uh, what is going on here. I'm not here to give any medical assessment. That is not my area of expertise, so I'm not doing that. But this, like everything else, is something to be looked at through the grid of uh, God's truth and our faith and what we know to be true about God and uh, according to Scripture. You know, we are hardly the first Christians to be living under any kind of a uh, fear or threat of plague or disease. In fact, if you look at church history, most of our brothers and sisters were under some kind of a perpetual uh, concern like this. And, uh, and then you throw in the, the war and, and all the rest. Uh, we have lived very sanitized lives compared to what our brothers and sisters have gone through. In fact, uh, if, you, if you do look into uh, the history of the church, what you'll find, the consistent Christian response has been remarkable. Uh, when plague comes, the populace freaks out, but Christians don't. That's the story of the church. We don't give in to fear, but we live by faith. And... We try to serve those who are in need. In fact, to give you an example of this, we don't have to go back into history. We can look at what the church and what Christians are doing in the city of Wuhan, China right now. I read this headline. Here's a screenshot of it. The response of Wuhan Christians puts government to shame. They continue to evangelize and help one another. And that was written by a reporter who's embedded in Wuhan and is just kind of, I don't know, from the window or whatever, observing what's going on in the city. They continue, these are Christians that is, to be out and about. They continue to be meeting needs, sharing the gospel. Uh, in fact, here's a picture of what they are handing out in Wuhan, China. I don't know if you can see that very well. But you'll, you'll notice that there is, a, and, and your Mandarin's probably poor, but let me interpret what that is. <laughs> That's a gospel track. And they're handing out gospel tracks with face masks. So what are we going to do here? Well, we are currently looking at prudent steps that the church could take. If, and that's a big if, nobody knows anything right now, but if things were to get worse, we are not going to freak out. And why is that? Because as Christians, our lives and our things are the Lord's. That's part of what it means to come to faith in Jesus. And frankly, who knows how this might play out. Uh, people thinking about the fleeting nature of life is a good thing for gospel ministry, and it's a good thing for what really matters in the end. So who knows how God might use this and open doors uh, for us. Maybe God will use it in some way to bring revival, perhaps in the church first, where it's needed the most, 
uh, but even, you know, around the world as uh, very materialistic, Western-minded people begin to think about um, uh, eternal realities, and that could be a very, a very good thing. So I just want to say, let's make sure that we approach this latest world crisis as God would have us to, and show a freak-out world the difference that Jesus makes when the chips are down. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Amen. All right. So that's my statement on that. Now to Romans 12. And as I advertised last week, how to know God's will for your life. Romans 12 urges us uh, to approach this question in a much better way than all of the hunches, fleeces, uh, divine nudges, I felt God tell me, crystal balls, horoscopes, fortune cookies, whatever it is that you're doing to try to figure out what God wants you to do, Romans 12 has a far better approach than any of those. And we are now in our third message from uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and just to very quickly review what we have seen, uh, as we began chapter 12, we noted there's this huge transition from Romans 1 through 11 and the deep doctrine of the gospel that is there. In Romans 12, you have the most famous therefore in all the Bible as Paul pivots from explaining the gospel, how God makes sinners righteous in position before him to now what that means in the ethical and moral categories of our life, the lifestyles that we live and the the character of our lives, that God wants our positional righteousness before him, which he has done through justification, to make profound differences in the, uh, the way that we live. Sanctification. He's making us righteous in practice. He's changing us into the likeness of Christ. So, our second message then was from verse 2, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, so nonconformity to the world means that there is a nonconformity in the mind of the Christian in the way that we think. We think differently as Christians. And now why would, why would this be a focus of, of, of God and the gospel? Because we all are living out a certain way that we think. You can look at your life and you'll see, there's, you can see the way that you think, the values that you uh, look at the world by, the things that are priorities for you and important to you or not important to you. We all are living out a kind of thinking. Uh, Proverbs 23, verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So... Because our lives reveal the values of our hearts and the ways that we think, God is in the process of changing the way that we think from, uh, you know, our pre-Jesus days where we just thought the way that the world told us to think and we valued the way that the, uh, the, the values that the world told us to have to now where we can actually change the processes of our mind and the priorities of our heart to be transformed into a godly way of thinking, or what he calls here a renewed mind. What is a renewed mind? A renewed mind is a mind that is saturated with God's word, where now I am, I am looking at my life and everything in this world through the grid of God's truth. Essentially, I am thinking God's thoughts after him because the Bible is God's way of thinking. 
And as I saturate my, my mind and it, it flows into my heart and it changes, scrubs out the old and puts in the new, now I am approaching my life in an entirely different way. Many of you would have that testimony. You, were, you, you lived this way, you thought this way. Now as a Christian, you, you're, you're thinking totally different and, and, you're, and you're living totally different. You know, to be a non-Christian is stinking thinking. Maybe you've heard that before. But now to be a Christian, now I'm, I'm truth thinking. And there are many wonderful byproducts of thinking about my life biblically. And one of them now, Paul focuses in on, and it's something that all of us are very keen to have in our life. Uh, and that is the question that I'm bringing up. How can I know what God wants me to do? How can I know in, in decisions that I'm making in my life that I am making it according to the will of God? And, and of course, as a Christian, we're, the assumption here is that we want God's will in our life and that we care about that. But how do I know what it is? And so look here now to see the connection between the first part of verse 2 and then this subject that we're talking about. Here's how he says it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, here it is, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's our text here now. And I want you to, to, first of all, notice here that the word that, okay, that little conjunction, it means so that as a result. When you use the word that, you're kind of drawing a conclusion. This means that, the result of this. And so here in Romans 12, 2, it is be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that as a result, you will discern the will of God. You've got to see that connection here between the first part of verse 2 and the last part of verse 2. Because the last part of verse 2, discerning the will of God, we all desperately want. But the first part of verse 2, the renewing of our minds, we can easily sort of skip over. We want to rush to the end. God, tell me what to do. I want to know. And God's like, renew your mind a moment, would you please? It begins with that. Now the ESV translates it this way, that by testing you may discern God's will. Do you see that? Test and discern. The idea here is like a jeweler. Now, several years ago, my wife and I were on a trip, and we're walking along, and we found a gold ring. Nice day, huh? Now, we didn't know if it was real gold, fake gold, what it was, but we, uh, we brought it home, and I uh, went to a couple local jewelers and just said, hey, what is this thing here? And unbeknownst to me, they have ways of figuring out whether it's real gold or not, and not just real gold, but how many carats of gold, uh, quality of gold that it is, and I forget what they did, acid or scratchings or whatever they did, but they were able to, note, test and discern whether it was real or not. And that's the sense of it here. That we are living our lives. Our lives are filled with decisions and opportunities and things that, that, that we're on a daily basis, small things in our life, big things. What is our calling? Renew our minds so that as a result, I can test and discern in that decision what God's will is. The will of God. Now, I want you to listen to this part because... I think this is where many of us go off the rails. When we see the will of God there, 
we get confused. And one of the reasons that we get confused is that, honestly, in biblical language, it can be kind of confusing when you talk about the will of God. Because there is within the will of God different wills. And if you are trying to discern the wrong will, you are going to be perpetually frustrated in your life and probably frozen in decision making. What do I mean by that? Okay, well, let's talk about the different wills of God. First, there is what I'm calling here the secret will of God. Other theologians would call this the decreed will of God, the the hidden will of God, the sovereign will of God. What is this will of God? Well, it's summarized in Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, note, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things according to the counsel of his will. This is the will of God that is known only to God. It is the decreed will of God before the foundations of the world. We saw this theme in Romans 8 and Romans 9 as it relates to our salvation. Uh, But we take great comfort, of course, in the fact that God is working all things together for good for those who love God, called according to his purpose. And and we we, we love this aspect of the will of God to know that, that everything is flowing according to the way that he intended, from the good, the bad, and all of that. There's mystery regarding how we can have evil in the world and Satan and all the rest. And yet God is sovereign over all of it in some way. But the Bible very clearly teaches that there is a will of God that is a sovereign, secret, hidden will that you and I, we are, we'll never know in advance. Now, we might know in the, in the rearview mirror because we see how it plays out, but we can't ever know that in advance. So how does this relate to the question of how I can know God's will for my life? If you think that this pursuit is a discovery of the hidden will of God, you're never going to know the will of God. Or you're going to suppose that you do, but you actually don't. Because none of us know. Only God knows this will of God. And Romans 12, too, is not encouraging us to test and approve the secret, hidden will of God. No, it's the second will of God that this is talking about, and that is the revealed will of God. The revealed will of God. Here's the good news, everybody. God has told us everything that we need to know to live the life that he expects us and desires us and actually the life that pleases him. He's already told us everything that we need to know. It is his revealed will. Where do we find it? We find it in the word of God. The word of God is the will of God. It is the revealed, it's not a secret, it's not in some box hidden in some, you know, monastery somewhere that we've got to go and find and we, you know, Indiana Jones, help us discover the will of God. We've got to find the secret little thing somewhere. No, no. Most of you probably have God's revealed will on your phone, right? He's not made it a secret. It's out there for all of us to know. The Bible is God's will for our life. Why do we say that? Some examples, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He's already given what we need. You see that? There's nothing in there that said, hey, but you've got you've to ferret it out. You've got to explore. You've got to find out. What? No, he's already given it to us. 
Famously, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, woman of God as well, <laughs> may be complete, equipped for every good work. What guidance do we find in the Bible? Well, we find moral and ethical guidance for the way that God expects us to live in moral and ethical categories. These come often in specific commands. Do this, don't do that. We have real life examples in the Old Testament and New Testament, both the positive and the negative. All these people in the Bible that we see the way they lived and God's judgment or blessing on them. We, of course, have the inspirational example of Jesus. This is the old, what would Jesus do in decision-making approach? We have his life. We have the overarching purpose of God in creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. We know what God's up to. We know where this thing is going. We know the flow of what God is purposing. We have God's goal in the gospel to change all of us, if we are Christians, into the likeness of Jesus. Which is one way we can, if you're, if you're stuck on what God would have you do, think about what Satan would have you to do, and then do the opposite of that. Sometimes that helps. I'm not sure what God wants, but I know what Satan would want me to do right now. Well, don't do that one. We have big overarching priorities that we know God has for us, like living for the glory of God, the fame of Jesus' name, the advancement of the gospel and, and the kingdom of God. And we know that God wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor uh, as ourselves. We know those things. And those are all sort of revealed will, revealed guidance and direction for the way that we should live our life. Now, right now, you are really disappointed in this message. Many of you are. Because you're thinking to yourself this, I don't need to know whether I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I don't need to know whether I should love God or not. I'm trying to decide what college to go to. I need to know what person I'm supposed to marry. I need to know whether I need to make a career change in my life. I need to know whether to buy a Ford or a Honda. And we cry out to God, like over these decisions, right? Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, God, give me direction in my life. <laughs> and when you come to the Bible, God's revealed will, you don't find answers to any of those questions, do you? In fact, 99, maybe 0.9% of all the decisions that we make in our life are not a question of the secret will of God or discovering it and are not a question of whether probably this is in God's revealed will or not. The vast majority of the decisions that we are called to make in our life have to do with wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is biblical truth on the street level of life. In fact, it takes wisdom to, to be able to apply God's truth. There's Proverbs in the Bible that talk about how a, a proverb is completely useless to a fool. He can't understand or live out a, a bit of wisdom to save his life. But the wise person takes the precepts of God and lives them out and faithfully applies them in their life. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to discern the best choice for the best outcome. And for a Christian, the very best outcome is the glory of Almighty God. 
The best outcome are these big, spiritual, sort of north star kind of things that God's revealed will puts out there and says, go this direction in your life. C.S. Lewis called this sanctified common sense. You know, there's entire Bible, uh, books in the Bible known as the wisdom literature dedicated to just this kind of practical Christian living Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is uh, notably this. So Christian wisdom has different outcomes in view than worldly wisdom. Okay, there's tons of worldly wisdom. That's why we have all these libraries and the Library of Congress and people write books, smart people write books and go to Barnes & Noble and buy the books. We've got all kinds of worldly wisdom. And they're saying, you gotta live for this and this is important, don't forget to do this. And it just sort of boggles our minds, all the things that we have to be doing constantly and worrying about. But Christian wisdom has a different outcome in view. Okay, so in the world, decisions are made with North Star directions like what's gonna make me the most money? What's going to, you know, uh, uh, make me famous? What's going to make, make me powerful? What's going to, et cetera, et cetera. And so the, in the world, and all of us were this way prior to coming to faith in Christ, those were the things that were the big priorities, and so our decisions flowed in those directions. But for the Christian, the wisest way to live is in the way that most pleases the Lord and brings him glory. And so the way that God has so ordered the world is that we live really in the, in the sphere of three circles, okay? And I, am, I have this illustrated here uh, in that we have God's eternal will, okay? And every single person, every insect, every atom, every molecule lives within the realm of God's eternal will. He is working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. We can't know that one, right? Then we have God's revealed will, these north star sort of priorities and directions that God says, live this way, head this direction. These are the big things. Make decisions that bring this kind of outcome. And within God's revealed will, the goal is to live according to wisdom. But within God's revealed will, we have freedom. We have freedom to make choices, big and small, and not wonder, am I out of the will of God or not? Now, why is this important? Because oftentimes when people say, I want to know God's will for my life, God would say, saturate your mind with the, with the God's truth and renew your heart and get that priority and then make decisions for your life. I have a decision to make. I'm not sure what God's will is. Well, what do you mean by that? Do you mean you don't know what God's secret will is and you're trying to figure that out? Don't do that. You'll never, you'll never figure it out. Do you mean his revealed will? So for example, let's, let's have a pretend conversation. Let's say that there is a woman in our church, she's considering marrying this guy. I've had this conversation many times. Here's how it goes. Pastor Steve, I'm in love. Okay, well, that's great. Tell me about him. Well, he likes cats and he's great with kids. He and I, we like all the same movies, and we can talk for hours. 
okay? Nothing you've said matters at all, all right? <laughs> My could care less list has been filled by the things that you've mentioned so far. Susie, is he a growing Christian? I, I, I don't know. What? Now I'm concerned not only about him, but about you. Because apparently this isn't nearly as important as God's revealed will would say that it ought to be in your, in your heart for who you're looking for to marry. Why do I say that? Well, because it's never God's will for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. This is one example of this. So if you come to me and say, you know, I got this guy, Harry. He's just so awesome. He's so hairy. He's so awesome. <laughs> I love him with all my heart. Actually, this brings my mind up. I, I literally had this conversation with a woman. She was telling me about this man she was in love with, and and she said, and he has a four by four. <laughs> and I always knew that I was gonna marry a guy with a four by four. <laughs> Ladies in the church, even if you think that, do not tell me that, because it makes me wanna vomit, honestly. It really does. It is the height of stupidity. Let's say that he is a growing Christian. Let's just say that. Is it my will, is, is it God's will for me to, to marry him? Yes, if you want to, if you want to. But now this becomes a wisdom decision. We'll say his name's Bill. Bill may love cats, but he hasn't held a job in 10 years. He may love cats, but he despises your sister. He may love cats, but your whole family hates him. Or worse, he could be a Packer fan. <laughs> I mean, there are deal breakers, are there not, in how these things work out. So get what I'm saying. God draws a circle in a decision like that and says, this is my revealed will. If you're within that revealed will, you've got all kinds of freedom for who you would, in this example, choose to marry. But this is now a wisdom decision. And after you say, I do, guess what? Now you know what God's secret revealed will from the foundations of the world was, that you would marry this particular person. But Pastor Steve, that's not very romantic. Because are you saying that there is not one soulmate out there, the one true love for me? Sorry, sweetheart. That's basically what I'm saying. Nope. <laughs> nope. There are probably hundreds of thousands of within the will of God people that you could marry. The question is, do they love Jesus and want to be a biblical husband or a biblical wife? If the answer to that is yes, and you've got Bill, Harry, and Frank, now the question is, well, which one would you like to be married to? 
Well, Bill has a four by four, so. <laughs> we need wisdom. Did you know God tells us if we need wisdom, we can ask for it? Here's James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. I think that's a great prayer to pray when we're in the midst of making decisions. Don't pray for, you know, some sign in heaven. Pray and ask God, give me wisdom. I need wisdom in this decision. I'm lacking it right now. Incline my heart towards the outcomes that would bring you the greatest glory and bless me the most. So how do I find God's will? Here's a, here's a, a process. Ask, does God's word give any definitive direction in this? If the answer is yes to that, you don't even have to think about it, okay? Don't even have to think about it. Should I rob the bank? No, no, that is not God's will. Does God's word give direction in principle? And this can be a little more difficult, but if you read, for example, 1 Corinthians, Paul is responding to a series of confusing questions that the Corinthian church had, and in many of the answers, he's taking principles, like they were confused about whether, for example, they could eat meat offered to an, uh, an idol in the temple, or if they should sue a fellow Christian. And he takes a principle like love and applies it to that. Perhaps there is an applicable principle of truth that should guide us. The Bible often does that. In cases where God's word is not entirely clear, I would encourage us to try to apply the clear truths to the less than clear situations. But let's just imagine now that you're facing a decision. The Bible neither forbids it nor encourages it. There's no principled application that gives direction for God's will. What does that mean? It means that you have freedom. Now that doesn't mean that every decision within God's revealed will is wisdom. Because, let's be honest, we all make a lot of not sinful, stupid decisions in our life, right? I've done that myself. So just because something's within God's revealed will doesn't itself make it wise. And here's where immature Christians, I, I observe, they fail to make this distinction. Young people, I was a youth pastor for five years, their constant question is, can I, can I, can I? When the real mature question is what? Should I, should I, should I? And we find in the Bible that God incentivizes within his revealed will us to live according to wisdom. How does he incentivize us? He incentivizes us by offering rewards for lives that are lived well and lives that are lived wisely and lives that are lived consciously for his glory. The parable of the talents and the minas as two examples of teaching like that. So with that said, let's take that basic framework and let's apply it to now Romans 12 too. Again, here's what it says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so again, we are approaching life 
consciously desiring God's will, I'm trying my very best to look through God's revealed will at the decision that I'm facing. I'm trying, I'm saying, God, incline my heart to the values and priorities that you have. I truly want what you want in my life. I wonder, can you honestly say that today? I want what you want in my life. Often we go into our decisions and we sort of play these games with God and we pray, you know, God, if you, if you do this, then I'm going to go be a missionary or, you know, you do this and I'm going to give to the church or whatever. We, we try to sort of negotiate. No, God, I want what you want in my life, which goes back to honestly verse 1. Where my life now is an act of worship. I crawled up on the altar there, and I'm a living sacrifice to God. I'm basically saying, okay, God, it's all yours. Are you there today? Are you there today? Don't skip. You see, we want to skip these things and get to the end, right? No, no. These are the ways that we come to decisions according to God's will. A renewed mind. And the rest of the verse shows what that renewed mind looks like. That by testing, you may discern... What is the will of God? And so the first thing we have here is test what God's will is. And this requires us to know it. And what is God's will? Where do we find it? We find it revealed in his word. His word is his will. I'm told that the Secret Service, and over the years we've had a number of Secret Service agents in our church, I should have asked them if this was true, I just have heard this, uh, that I'm told that Secret Service, they identify counterfeit money by very carefully looking at what it's supposed to look like. They become experts on genuine money so that they can identify counterfeit money. And God's revealed will to us is like that, okay? When, when, I, am, when I am living my life with a renewed mind, when I am consciously striving to live according to the revealed will of God, in the day-to-day of life, it becomes easier to identify what's not the will of God. What's the fake? What's the counterfeit? The opportunities in my life are evaluated with questions like this. Does God word command, word command anything here? Does it allow anything here? Does it forbid anything here? Does it encourage? Does it give guidance? What does God say on the matter? And this, of course, begs the question that... In order for me to be able to view life this way, I've got, to be a, I've got to be a person of the book. I mean, have you ever noticed, as a pastor, I don't get to do this, but I hear rumors about this. If you miss church for like two or three weeks in a row, what's that like, some of you? I don't even, I don't get to do that. But you just kind of, your spiritual heart sort of gets cold and you, become, you succumb to temptation and you're just, you're not approaching life biblically like you are when you're regularly in the word, regularly in worship. We have to know God's word in order to test things by God's will. Test what God's will is. Know the revealed will of God. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Okay, so now it's, this is now, I know what it's supposed to be like, and I have a decision in my life. I am seeking to discern what God's will is in this. And here's where you might think, well, if I'm full of Bible knowledge, then that's the key to living a a wise life. Wrong. How many times have I heard somebody describe this way? He knows his Bible back and forth, but, can you finish the statement? 
He's not living it. It's not so much that I am filled with Bible knowledge. It has to dwell in my heart. In other words, my desires have to be for what God wants in my life. It is knowledge of God's will and delighting in that. Again, can you say, God, I want what you want in my life? I think that's a key question. And once I totally want what God wants in my life and my heart is ready to delight even if it's a difficult decision that I have to make, notice here it says that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. And these are three adjectives describing God's perspective on decisions that we make according to his will. It's as if God's in heaven looking at our life and... That was great. That was great. Good decision, John. Sue, that pleases me. Well done. It's like a precursor to that well done, good and faithful servant that we'll hear from him hopefully someday. Here's how Augustine said it. Here's, this is his, his guidance in decision making. Love God and do as you please. That sort of simplifies it, doesn't it? Love God and do as you please. What does he mean by that? When I'm loving God, okay, we, t- we are like, oh, do as I please. No, no, start with the love God part. When I am loving God, when I am delighting in him, this is what Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because when I'm delighting in God, I want what God wants in my life. And now he's free to give me the desires of my heart because the desires of my heart are what God wants in my life. Love God and do as you please. So wait a second, are you saying that God's will for my life is not a secret? That is exactly what I'm saying today. Are you saying I don't have to find God's will for my life? Not if finding means that God has hidden it from you. Because he hasn't hidden it, it's been around for a very long time. So this is, not, this is more a matter of discernment than it is of discovery. Okay, now with that, quickly, I want to just talk about a few approaches that people do, and I'm saying to you, don't do this, okay? Here's some really bad ways of doing it. How many of you have heard of the fleece approach to decision-making, okay? The fleece approach. The fleece approach comes from Gideon uh, in Judges 6, where God called him to go against the Midianites, and he was afraid, and he said, okay, make the ground wet and the fleece dry, and God did that. And the next day, he goes, okay, make the fleece you know what I mean, and uh, with the opposite of that, and, and God did it, and so it was a fleece, it was an indication, yes, this is what God wants to do in my life, and in our immaturity and in our fear, we oftentimes approach decisions that way. Now, sometimes these are veiled approaches to wisdom. So you might say, well, you know, if I'm going to go to IU or Purdue, uh, whichever one gives, you know, one gives me a full ride and, and, and one doesn't, I'll know, God, that's the one for me. And you know what? It probably is because you'd be stupid not to go to the full ride. <laughs> I don't care how much you love IU basketball. That's just veiled wisdom. But oftentimes we are, we are creating these scenarios like we can put God in a box. This is something God allowed Gideon to do. This is not something recommended for us. I don't have the power and ability to say, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. Because God will do jolly well whatever he wants to do. No matter if I put a fleece out there or not. So don't approach things that way. It's a terrible way to do it. Here's another one, peace. I have peace about this. Oh, good for you. 
People mean by this, I have a sense of an inner feeling of tranquility. I have had people tell me that they have peace making a decision that is exactly against the revealed will of God, and yet they have peace about it. Don't forget, Jonah ran from God, ran from Nineveh, and slept in the boat before the storm came. He had great peace within him. What's the problem with this? Peace is a feeling, and feelings are very subjective and subject to change. Not a good basis for making big or small decisions in your life. When people, when people say peace, what they tend to mean is whatever makes me feel happy. And that's a big, there's a big difference between that and, God, I want whatever you want in my life. Okay? So don't, don't go with that approach. So fleece, peace, here's just one more, there's others. There's only one perfect will. People, you know, they use language like this, God, I want to be in the center of your will. I want to be in your perfect will. In my younger years, I approached things this way, and honestly, it was terrible. I remember, uh, you know, having this sense or making the choice of my college. I remember thinking to myself, if I choose the wrong college, then I'm not going to meet the girl that I was supposed to marry. And if I don't meet the girl that I was supposed to marry, I might be single for decades. So perhaps there is a little wisdom in this approach. <laughs> but when you think that there is only one way, that God's will for your life is a tightrope, then if you, if you make a step perhaps in the wrong direction, you're forever in your life off, you know, you're like the, the guy going over the volcano this week, you know, plunging down, you're never going to... I never get back on the rope. I'm always out of the will of God. It is a paralyzing approach to life. Or worse, it brings about secondary decisions like this one. When people say, I'm unhappy in my marriage, so I obviously didn't marry the one God picked for me. I need to leave this one and go find the special one that God has for me. But friends, listen, there is no single woman to marry, there is no car to buy, there is no single college to attend, there's no one neighborhood in the center of God's will for you to live in, there is not one church to go to, although that might be an exception. <laughs> in all of these things, God has given us parameters. And within that parameter, freedom to choose. And if we choose poorly, suffer the consequences of that. And if we choose wisely, to live in the blessings of wise living. And there are other flawed approaches than these, but I just want to make sure that we get how God wants us to live, because this is like every day of our life. In view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves to God as a kind of living sacrifice, crawling up on the altar and saying, God, my, my life now is my act of worship to you. And as I'm laying on this altar, I'm not going to be thinking about the way, the, the, the way that the world thinks. I'm non-conformity to that. I am in conformity to the way that you think because my mind is renewed by your word. And from this perspective now, I am discerning in my life and I'm testing and I'm seeking to live in a manner that brings you pleasure and glory. Your will, 
which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So Bethel Church, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And may we all live in this manner this week. Amen.